Hello all, welcome to the December 2022 episode of RCB Clips, our podcast about all things ranked choice voting. I'm Sam, a member of the Resource Center staff, and in today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Ryan Kirby and Chris Hughes about best practices we learned from this year's ranked choice voting elections, what worked, what can be improved, and what we'd like to see in the future. So Ryan and Chris, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, So let's dive right into it. As we all know here, uh, ballot design is a crucial part of successful elections, um, RCB or not. Um, So I wanted to give you both a chance to touch on any cities or states whose ballot this year you wanted to highlight as particularly effective or well-designed. So the two places I was like excited to see their ranked choice winning ballots this year are one, Alaska, and two, Portland, Maine. So Alaska, everyone knows, implemented ranked choice voting for the first time this year. They ran it in August in the special election, which elected Mary Paltola to U.S. House. And in uh, the fall, huge election, you know, about 40 contests using ranked choice voting. Um, And what I really liked about it was they had super clear instructions And they had a really easy to use marking grid, right? Because a ranked choice voting election allows you to mark candidates in a little grid, like imagine a Scantron where you're filling out your name or something or, you know, answering a multiple choice question. And their grid was one of the more just like approachable ones I'd seen. It was just well-designed, easy to look at, easy to navigate. Um, And I liked Portland, Maine's as well. It was interesting there. This is actually an update they made in 2021 that they used again in 2022, They've been using ranked choice voting for about a decade. And before that, they had always sort of shunted their ranked choice voting contests onto a different part of the ballot. So it would be like one side of the ballot was ranked choice. The other side was the other contests, right? And this year and last year, instead, they finally merged those onto one side of the ballot, which I think, one, is a great way to save space. It's a more efficient use of space on ballots. It's expensive to get all those ballots printed um, and is a little more approachable for voters too. It's more like what they expect to see on the ballot. I think I would expect it would be a little confusing for a voter to like have all the normal contests they mark, but then they're, they might be looking for the ranked choice voting contest and it's on the back. You have to make sure you have clear instructions telling people, Hey, flip this over, look where you need to look to mark your, your vote here. But if you can get everything on one side or sort of, follow your standard flow of contests on the ballot, that makes it easier for voters to use the ballot too. So I was, those, those are the two that I was excited about. Uh, Ryan, are there any that you would throw in? Yeah, I'll just um, add a little bit about uh, Portland that when we were talking with voters um, in all the jurisdictions that we were visiting, that the experience for the voters when we were talking with them was really positive. Um, they enjoyed the experience of being able to vote and express their preferences. There didn't seem to be a lot of voter confusion. So that's another key piece of it as well. Great to see that um, as these jurisdictions, you know, continue to gain experience, um, putting these ballots together and, and voters get more comfortable with them, that um, people's out- outcomes and people's confidence seems to be um, increasing. So that's awesome to hear. Speaking of the great Northeast, Ryan, you just got back uh, from a trip from Burlington, Vermont last week. Um, for their RCB special election. So what can you tell us about that election and, you know, what takeaways did you have as far as best practices go? Yeah, so they had a special election. That wasn't originally supposed to be their first ranked choice voting implementation. Um, They actually had to do it several months in advance. They were going to be using it in their March um, elections. 
but they had a member of city council who uh, resigned um, for uh, accepting a job there. And uh, so they had a, a special election. And uh, um, one of the things there that I thought was particularly good was that there seemed to be a pretty decent partnership with some local advocates. Um, VPIRG, uh, the Vermont Public Interest Research Group, um, did a lot of voter education. They even had volunteers at the polls all day. Um, and uh, that is something that was really helpful um, to voters. And when talking with them, trying to get feedback afterwards um, so that they can make improvements for their upcoming March election, um, that all the feedback seemed to be really positive and it was good a good practice run kind of thing for the broader election. Awesome. As RCBRC, we've spent a lot of time you know, on the ground in jurisdictions this year. Ryan, obviously, just in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, Chris, I know you most recently were in Alaska, but have visited a number of jurisdictions throughout the year. Um, did you have any experiences in Alaska or elsewhere that you know, taught you something new about the current state of elections or RCB? And you know, what lessons did you learn from your, your time with boots on the ground? Yeah, uh, a couple interesting things. One, and I, I feel like we talked about this last month too, but it's worth repeating. I think the thing that strikes me the most is every time when I'm like, actually sitting there watching an election happen, it all sort of makes more sense. We spend a lot of time talking to people in the abstract about how to hold elections, putting together reports, researching it. And it can be a little hard to like hold this complex administrative process running an election in your head um, without seeing it. But then when you see it and you're just sitting there watching voters at polling places, at elections offices in Riverside County, where Palm Desert who, who ran Palm Desert during choice voting election, which I got to observe in Salt Lake County, in Alaska, wherever, it just suddenly like comes into focus a little bit more clearly. So that's one thing that's I, worth repeating for me because I have an instinct of just like research and read and talk to people, but on the ground experience is like obviously hugely valuable to make things make sense. Um, the other things that really stood out to me are in Palm Desert, they were implementing proportional ranked choice voting. And so they had a big focus on voter education, on making sure people understood it, because it's a more sophisticated way of counting elections. There's just a little bit more going on under the hood for voters that we want them to understand when you're counting that sort of election. So, you know, it's instructive there because like with any ranked choice voting election, you want to teach people how to mark the ballot and how those votes get counted. But we saw that in Palm Desert, you wanted to follow those same practices, like a single winner ranked choice voting and a proportional ranked choice voting generally have the same, you say, have the same voter education goals. Get people the opportunity to mark the ballot as much as possible. Give them the chance to see what it looks like to count that election as much as possible so that it sinks in. Because it is, it's new, right? It's not new to me, but it's new to pretty much everybody else in the world. <laughs> so getting people the chance to see it again and again and again really helps it sink in. The other thing, especially with proportional ranked choice voting, is you need a couple different ways to teach people about how the voting method works. For mathier people, it helps to dig in on some of the math. But for less mathy people, it helps to have more abstract explanations, have a few different ways you break the information down so that you can help people understand it and feel like they can get their hands around it. Um, the other thing in Alaska that I really found interesting was just, and I'm, I'm going to talk about this a bit in a second, but how much it helped that they had like really good transparency. They had Gail Fanumiai, who's the long-term uh, director of the division elections. She's 
now retired. This was her like last year. It was a <laughs> very big, very busy year. I'm sure she's tired and is enjoying her retirement now. Um, but they had a really trustworthy person. She had been there, you know, in Alaska for 20 or 30 years running elections. So people just knew her and they trusted her. And it was interesting to see a place implementing ranked choice voting where there was some hostility to it because it was a partisan environment. But having someone like Gail really helped to build trust in the method to make sure people trusted that the process was carried out in a, a trustworthy way. Sorry to say the word trust so many times, but that that is another thing that stood out to me. And that's obviously, you're not always going to have that with an election administrator, but ideally that's what you do have. And when you do have a resource like that, as the administrator yourself, if you've built trust and, and people believe in your elections, and as a ranked choice voting advocate, if you can find those election administrators who have longstanding relationships, it's going to make your implementation process a lot easier too. Absolutely. Um, I heard uh, a little factoid this, this past week um, that in a poll of, of the general public, the most trusted groups for information on election administration were not you know, governors or mayors or elected officials or anyone like that. But the number one source was local election administrators and the number two source is local uh, journalism. So I'm wondering if, in your experience on the ground, you saw that play out where with people turning to election admins for questions on RCV um, and any concerns? And if so, how do we um, use that as a resource to continue uh, building trust and confidence um, in RCV with the general public? Yeah, I mean, we definitely we definitely heard that from people. You know, when this is sort of the nature of ranked choice voting, it's mostly used in cities. And people are going to go to their city clerk to learn what is going on here. And we've seen this overall, not just in ranked choice voting, but, you know, we've seen these sorts of poll results over and over again that, like, the person literally geographically closest to you is someone who you're going to trust a little bit more when you're learning about something. I mean, whether it's elections, whether it's something else, but especially elections, especially in the current political environment, it helps to have a local trusted source. And... Yeah, I mean, we see again and again in Maine, too, where they've been doing it statewide for a few years. Everybody comes to <clears throat> their their city clerks with questions about, well, how do I mark the ballot? How do I make this work? And so the Secretary of State there has made sure that they have really clear materials that they get out to all those clerks. They've trained all those clerks to make sure they know, here's where to find this information. Here's how to teach voters about how ranked choice works, because they know they're they're going to go locally like that. Yeah, and, and during some of my trips, I really appreciated the opportunity from the city clerks in both uh, Portland, Maine, and Burlington, Vermont, that during the tabulation process, they had open in, an open process, and um, there was members of the press at both of them, um, and they were answering questions that, you know, that the average person would have. Um, some people go into the tabulation, and they expect it to be this big, complicated thing, but it's usually just, you know, doing a quick application of some software, um, and then they have the results and you can see it all happen right in front of you in just a couple of minutes, really. Um, the longest part is usually uh, explaining everything to you just so that everybody's on the same page. Cause, uh, but yeah, overall, really appreciated that opportunity. And that's another thing that you know, the average person could go up and, and watch that on election night or whenever it is they end up tabulating. That's great. Yeah. And we really value that transparency on that 
on that note, um, we've seen a few places, such as Maine, Alaska, live stream uh, their RCD results tabulation online. Um, do either of you have thoughts on how uh, to do that practice well going forward? I really liked how Alaska did it this fall. So they held their tabulation on November 23rd, which was the day before Thanksgiving. So people, I think, maybe they didn't get as many viewers as they might have otherwise. But they, what they did was they partnered with a local public access television, KTOO, which is based out of Juneau, where the Division of Elections in Alaska is headquartered, um, to live stream this to bring like a really high level of professionalism to the video that they were streaming out to the internet. Um, so that what that got them was a few things. One interesting thing that is probably, I think, flies under the radar for people is that KTOO has a like secured live streaming technology. So because they also stream hearings and other things from the state capitol, they have to make sure that they've hardened that live stream from any outside attackers. And you obviously want that sort of technology and process in place too if you're live streaming election results. You know, that that's a potential place where a state actor, some uh, people who are engaging in malfeasance might want to mess with things. So it helped a lot that KTOO already had that technology in place to make sure that the live stream would stay live and wouldn't get interrupted by somebody. Um, the other things they did are maybe more obvious to like the everyday viewer, they had just a really clear presentation. They, Alaska uses Dominion voting systems and Dominion has this ability to display election results, like ranked choice voting results through Dominion software. So they hooked that up to um, that non, they hooked that non-internet connected computer, let's be really clear, up to a um, a projector, put it up on a screen and then they pointed a camera that was actually live streaming to the internet at that screen, which is the clearest thing you can do when you can't connect to the internet. You don't want to like directly plug your com tabulation computer into the internet. There's a lot of security risks there. Uh, so they just use this like pre-existing tool in Dominion software that shows sort of how the rounds are getting counted. The other thing they really did that I liked a lot that we heard about when we were in Alaska and met with Gail and Tiffany Montemayor, her, the public information officer, was they worked with uh, the Disability Law Center in Alaska on writing a script to describe ranked choice voting just using like spoken word for people who are blind or have other vision impairments because they were also live streaming. They were streaming this over the radio too. So they wanted it to be intelligible to people who were just listening in. Um, so that was one thing that I was excited to hear about, that they had written this like blind accessible script to describe ranked choice voting just using words. Because as anybody who may be listening to this podcast knows, we always say it helps to have visuals, but not everybody can see those visuals. So having a clear script like that is really great. So I'm going to rely on the, the work that Alaska did going forward to make sure whenever I'm describing this, that I'm using accessible language to people. Um, those are the two, the few things that I, I was really excited to see that Alaska was doing and doing well. Great. Ryan, anything to add to that? Yeah, I watched, um, parts of the main, um, live stream. They did theirs on Facebook live. So that's kind of anything that anybody could kind of do. So that kind of easy access, um, for them. And one thing that I really appreciated that they did is the secretary of state, uh, Shanna Bellows. Um, she came over to the camera and periodically would talk to whoever was viewing 
and um, address some questions that popped up in some of the comments that came through, but also just talk through what the process was that they were doing and provided timeline updates as well. Um, so that you got a sense of where they were at, what they were doing and how long it was gonna be um, just to go through that process for them. So that was, that was helpful um, as somebody who was watching from hundreds of miles away. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, that's a great resource. And so on a similar um, note, when we talk about the actual round by round results, um, what did y'all see from whether it's jurisdictions um, or the media or, you know, independent actors uh, who, who did a great job sort of displaying those round by round results, both um, in ways that are, you know, detailed and good as a resource for folks like us going forward, but also just um, who, who were able to make it easily digestible for the general population. So one of the things that uh, I had seen, so in looking at uh, Maine, the New York Times um, was covered that one, and they had a display showing the initial round and then the final round, because there were only three main candidates, um, so it ended up being two rounds, um, that you could see where the plus, the minus, where the ballots went. Um, so that was helpful um, as well. And then for Burlington, when they just had their election results, um, they posted just the PDF readout of where all of the ballots went. Um, they actually ended up uh, having a winner in the very first round, but they went forward with the tabulation anyway, so you could see you know, how it would have gone if they ran down to a top two, um, which is another best practice that we encourage as well. Yeah, the other place I was excited to see in Alaska, the Anchorage Daily News did some good visualizations locally as well. And it's interesting because... We haven't seen a lot. We haven't seen many national news desks do much to visualize ranked choice voting specifically until this year. So it was exciting to see the Times and Washington Post do this too. But I was also pretty like gratified that local news, maybe I'm being condescending, Alaska, Anchorage Daily News is like the statewide daily in Alaska, but <laughs> that we had like state and local uh, papers doing this sort of visualization as well. I was excited to see that. Uh, I liked their work. The other thing too is, of course, FairVote worked with RC Viz, uh, Armin, who was on a few episodes ago, to put together a visualization of all the Alaska results too. So I think that was another great resource that we could point people to, that FairVote could point people to, that anybody working on ranked choice voting could show to people and be like, hey, here's a really accessible and like easy to understand visualization of, of ranked choice voting results. That's great. Yeah, I would like to just give a, a hand to the state of California and I believe Alameda County in particular has a great website with very, very detailed reports on each round, um, each individual round of all of the ranked choice voting elections ranging from the, the big ones, the huge mayoral races that everyone's watching to the little, um, you know, board, board of education um, races, which are also very important, of course. Um, but they, I think, can can really be a great blueprint for um, less accessible to the general public, but in terms of internal tracking, um, I think really they were a paragon of how to collect all of your, um, you know, disparate res results from every little jurisdiction, host them all in one place and, and be really detailed. Um, and I, th I think that's something that states can emulate as a great resource going forward. So another question, um, you know, I had the... Pleasure, if you if you want to frame it that way, of being in uh, collection rooms in November 2020, um, 
which obviously was an election that was heavily affected in many ways by COVID-19. Um, I, I was personally in Connecticut at the time, and we had record levels of mail-in ballots and you know alternative forms of voting rather than um, going to the polls. Now having a, a couple of um, cycles of experience helping to administrate elections in a post-COVID landscape, um, did you notice any difference differences this year compared to last year or fall of 2020 in terms of what the tabulation process looked like, how results were coming in, or anything else? It's an interesting question. So what we generally heard from people that there were, you know, they had fewer mail ballots coming in. I think that's the big thing that we saw was people were returning to vote in person at the polls. And I think that's for two reasons. One, people feel more comfortable showing up to vote in person now than they did in 2022 or in 2020. And it's gotten harder for states to say it's an emergency. We have to send a ballot to everybody because that's something that a number of states did, right? Is they could somehow proactively say, whatever, due to however their election law was written, we're going to send a ballot out to every single person. So you saw way more ballots coming or mail ballots getting cast. And that, that I think naturally has fallen back to what I gather is just above pre pandemic levels. I think, we were sort of already riding this wave of increasing vote by mail ballots. I think we're going to continue to see that, but way more in-person voting. That's that's my big headline. Yeah, I would say um, compared to 2020 and talking with some of the election officials um, and election boards in uh, Portland, there was definitely more in-person voting than they might have expected. Um, and uh, there was a little bit of a line at some of the places that we were um we were watching, um, which is a little bit good and bad. Good, exciting to see so many people that were excited to to vote. And there were a lot of new registered um, voters, which is also very exciting. Um, but, the, you know, there's always a staffing issue, particularly in election administration. So this is also a shout out to encourage you to uh, sign up, volunteer next election cycle to be an election judge and help out. Do it. Great. Well, anything that gets people, yeah, additionally engaged, we, we love. Um, well, Chris and Ryan, my last uh, question for you both uh, is to describe how the landscape of RCV has changed from January of this year um, to December of this year in, as always, three words or less. Way more. Oh, shoot. That's four words. Way more implementations. I did busy, exciting and growing. Perfect. That's a great one, Ryan. Do I usually contribute one? I'm not sure. I, I haven't yeah, do it. Um, um, well, that's four words. Man, this is this is harder than it sounds. It's three words or less. You could just say one. Yeah, my my word is is optimism. Nice, love it. I like it. Feeling great about where things are going. Thanks so much, um, Chris and Ryan, RCBRC's intrepid policy team, um, for joining me uh, for this podcast today. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, thanks for having us. And now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or just something we thought was cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Rosemary Blizzard with this month's final round. Did you know that voters in Portland, Oregon, adopted proportional ranked choice voting this fall? Portlanders voted 58 to 42 to adopt a set of comprehensive reforms to their city charter. 
including changing the structure of city government, expanding the size of the council, moving to multi-member district elections, and using proportional ranked choice voting. Portland is the first major city to adopt this method of voting in nearly 80 years. Starting in 2024, Portlanders will use proportional RCV to elect a 12-member council using four three-member districts. This landmark adoption makes it this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today for our December 2022 RCV Clips episode produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to the show for the latest episodes and updates. Please take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center and Ranked Choice Voting, check out our website, www.rcvresources.org. The production of this podcast is supported by the generosity of our donors. Donations can be made directly on the website or by texting donate RCV, all caps and all one word, to 51555. Please don't hesitate to contact us with any donation questions at donate at rcvresources.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rcvresources and on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Our theme music is Flutterby by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Sam Prescott on behalf of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.